Warning, you are now listening to Up in Flames. We up in flames, yeah. We up in flames, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Let me hear it, Lambo. We up in flames. We up in flames. We up in flames. Yeah, we up in flames, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We up in flames, yeah. Yeah, uh, we up in flames, hold on, uh, check this go. We up in flames, yeah, uh, we up in, uh, yeah, yeah, we up in flames, yeah, Woo. We up in, uh, yeah, we up in flames, we up in flames. Welcome, everyone, to the Up in Flames debut here on Dash Radio on the Nothing But Net channel. I am your host, Mo Murphy, part of Off The Ball Network. We're going to put on a great show for you. Obviously, it's my debut episode, so I definitely wanted to get some a little, get things a little spicy, talk about what's going on, look forward to the offseason. So I got none other than my guy, Kenneth, from the Shooter Shoot Podcast, also another guy, part of Off The Ball Network. Kenneth, what's going on, bro? Not too much, man. Enjoying uh, enjoying this weekend as, uh, as we're recording here, and... Uh... You know, just happy to be on the show and uh, definitely ready to talk some hoops. Yeah, 100%. So before we get the show started, I just want to let everybody here listening on the Nothing But Net channel, go to offtheballnetwork.com for all your sports needs and entertainments. I just recently wrote an article about, you know, the five destinations for Kawhi Leonard that make sense. Kenneth has weekly betting articles. He's got uh, his draft content coming. You know, he just put out part two of a seven-part series of NBA draft prospects. You know, he did 70 through 61 and then 61 through 60 through 51. 61. There we go. Yeah, there you go. I, I shot a blank. But yeah, um, definitely go to offtheballnetwork.com and make sure because we have plenty of great content for every sport that you love, but especially basketball, because obviously this is a Hoopers channel. And make sure you head over to our guys, MyBookie, at MyBookie.ag and use promo code off the ball. They will match up an offer up to $500. $500 they will match for you to start getting into gambling. Obviously, you know, sports is dying down. But at the same time, get you an account before sports pick back up because football season is right around the corner. So with that being said, let's get into our first topic. Kenneth. Obviously, the biggest thing going on in the NBA world right now is the NBA Finals. And, man, what what a finals it has been. Obviously, Phoenix, you know, for you guys listening on Monday, the series could be changing. But at the same time, Phoenix is up 2-0. And Milwaukee just looks, how do I say it? Milwaukee looks bad. As great as Giannis played in game two, you know, and it was a man show. He can't be, he, he can't do that. We've seen that with LeBron. We've seen that with, Kevin Durant, a one-man show may not get the job done. Obviously, he needed help. Chris Middleton wasn't able to do it. Uh, Drew Holiday wasn't able to show up. And those are guys that we kind of depended on where we, we we go back and talk about LeBron James and that Cleveland team where he scored 50 points and they lose in the finals. And that's what we say when we say no help. But when Giannis scores 40, it's not insane to expect a victory because at he has Giannis. I mean, he has Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton alongside him which we I thought would be a great matchup for Phoenix. So, Kenneth, you know, with Phoenix being up 2-0, what are some of your thoughts so far just in the finals? I mean, overall, Phoenix Big 3 has just outplayed Milwaukee's. I mean, we talk about 
Uh, Giannis having a big game two. Game one, he had an okay game, but got limited help from Drew Holiday in that game. Middleton showed up for game one, didn't show up for game two. I mean, and Phoenix, not just their big three. I mean, they got 27 out of Bridges in game two. That's not something that should ever happen defensively if you're the Bucks. I mean, I'm guys get hot. Like, there, there's games where guys go off. But 27 for a guy who's maybe a dozen a game type player, that mm-hmm. just can't happen. And when you're a team like Milwaukee, where you have so many defenders on your team, Giannis is a good defender. Lopez is a good defender. Drew Holiday is supposed to be a good defender. And he's been nowhere to be found in this series. One thing that I've noted is Chris Paul is eating them alive in the mid-range. And that can't happen when Drew Holiday is supposed to be this all-NBA defender. Like, Chris Paul, let's be honest, he hasn't been the scorer. He's always been the distributor. But the last couple years, he hasn't been putting up points. But in the finals, he's looking like Chris Paul back in his New Orleans days, the way that he's scoring the basketball. So... They need to figure out a way to prevent him getting into the paint. And this is where Mike Budenholzer needs to, to ultimately make his make his living because you need to make adjustments. You're down 2-0. You're heading back home. You can't afford to lose one of those games at home because then you have to head back to Phoenix after that. So just defensively, the Bucks look like they're a mess. And, I mean, Giannis can't do it all on his own. I've been incredibly impressed by the fact that he's playing on a hyperextended knee and putting up the production that he is. Like them being down 2-0 has nothing to do with Giannis. It has everything to do with what they're doing defensively, and they need guys like Drew Holiday to ultimately step up. Yeah, 100%. And and that's the key thing right there is you said defensively, and, and what I see is a coaching mismatch. Monty Williams is coaching circles around Budenholzer. You know, we, we've done shows together before, and we've both been fairly critical of Budenholzer, and I'm a person who I think, if Milwaukee doesn't win this championship, which there's been, what, four teams uh, ever to be down 2-0 in the NBA Finals and actually come back and win that. So history's not on their side. And obviously, we know there's never been a team to win an NBA series down 3-0. So history definitely will not be on their side. And all the chips have to go in in game three. It is a must-win game if they want the series to continue. Or else they could find themselves getting swept, but I would almost... I bet the house and everybody else's house that I know that if they go down 3-0, they're not winning the finals. But it's Monty Williams. He's doing an amazing job. And Chris Paul is, you know, they did a little bit better of a job in game two. He still was eating them alive, but they, in the beginning, they took away that Chris Paul, what he does is he gets in the middle of your defense and then he figures out what he's going to do from there. That's where he eats. That's where he makes his plays because he gets to where he wants and Milwaukee was not doing a good job of making him feel uncomfortable. But in the beginning of the game, too, Milwaukee started off really good. And what I noticed was it was the fact that they were not letting they were making Chris Paul uncomfortable with making plays. They weren't letting him get into the middle of the defense and then guys getting open and he figures out the best play. And basically in his mind, it probably moves in slow motion, but that stuff happens so quick. But at the same time, like for Chris, he processes information so fast that's the, him making plays looks like it happens in slow motion for him. When we're watching in two to three seconds, he's in the middle of a defense. Boom, kick out right over to Devin Booker in the corner for a three, kick out the other way to Jay Crowder. And their passing has been their team play has been beautiful. You see Chris Paul get in the middle of the defense, kick it to the corner. You get a pump fake from Mikel Bridges, one dribble. Acts like he's going to pull up, dish it to Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder catches it on the wing, pump fake, you know, one dribble to the hole. 
boom, this is it back out to Devin Booker in the corner. Devin Booker for three. It's been those type of plays consistently from Phoenix. And Budenholzer is not making the adjustments. We always talk about adjustments. And we talk about this is where coaches make their money. This is where they make their living. It's sometimes when your team is talent-wise equal, it usually comes down to coaching. I think these are two fairly even teams. And I would have even said coming into the series that Milwaukee, if I knew Giannis was going to be as healthy as he's been playing, I would say Milwaukee has the advantage because I feel like they have the best player on the floor. But we've been seeing otherwise because Chris Paul, like you said, we're seeing a New Orleans Chris Paul when we talk about the points column. We know he's one of the one of the greatest point guards of all time. Wherever you have him, I feel like that's an argument for another day. But he's a great distributor, one of the greatest distributors of the basketball. And we know when he comes to a team, you have a chance. I think that leadership factor, him coming to Phoenix and them being in the finals, not on a as great scale, but it reminds me of Tom Brady coming when he went to the Bucks. The minute Tom Brady stepped in that locker room, that whole Bucks roster, the same roster from the year before that didn't make the playoffs, just believed. They believed that something great was going to happen. They believed that they now had a shot, and it's no knock on their former quarterback, but it's just that type of leadership, that type of mentality, and that type of respect around the league as a player gets these young guys to believe Chris Paul could take us to that next level. Granted, Chris Paul has never been a guy to take a team to a championship, let alone win one. But he's went to very bad teams with losing history, and he goes and makes them playoff and even finals contenders. There's been multiple teams Chris Paul has been on. So what do you think about just Chris Paul and his performance in this year's playoffs? What what stands out about Chris Paul this year? I think he, did, he didn't have the roster that he had in OKC last year. I know that everyone talks about Shea Gilgis and Schroeder, but... I mean, Devin Booker and Aiton, I just think, are are those players just elevated. And so I, I think he's doing similarly what he did with OKC last year. I think he's just doing it with better talent, and we're starting to see it shine through. I mean, we talked about DeAndre Aiton the first couple of years and thought, well, it, was he really living up to number one pick status? And he still might not be, but he's certainly a lot closer since Chris Paul has gotten there. He's He's done a better job of getting him to score more efficiently. I think he was like a 63% from the field guy this year, which is incredibly impressive for him. So I think Chris Paul's leadership overall, he he's just instilled in these guys that, look, the bubble last year wasn't an accident. We have a lot of talent here. We're a good basketball team. And now it's time to prove it. And, you know, people will point to injuries and whatever else. Doesn't matter that they beat who was in front of them. Just because a team gets injured doesn't take anything away from the Suns have done this year. They've been a phenomenal team all year. They stayed healthy, which is huge. And they've ultimately, they got to the two seed. They knocked out the Lakers. And then they beat down the Denver Nuggets with the MVP. So, I mean, they, they've had a tough road to get here. And then they they had the Clippers as well. So I've just been really impressed by Phoenix. And I want to go back to the Budenholzer thing really quick because you know, I, I was looking at this before we came on the on the air to talk, and it's amazing to me that they lost one quarter of basketball, the Bucks did, and on game two, and they lost it 30 to 16. And I went back and looked just to see, like, okay, when could he have made an adjustment? And it took him five minutes into the second quarter to even call a timeout. So, so the team is not playing well to start the second quarter, and then you're just letting it play out. And, and in the NBA Finals, you can't do that. You can't go five minutes with your team not performing 
and not do anything about it. And it took Phoenix scoring like five or six buckets in a row for him to finally decide, okay, now's the timeout. Well, by then the momentum's completely switched. And I think that's something that that's why we've been so critical of Budenholzer. Like the Bucks scored like two points in the first three minutes of the quarter, like call the timeout and be like, guys, like we got to get this going. Like let's, let's start to start to get the offense going. And instead he lets it play out. Phoenix ultimately goes on like a 10-2 run. And that's ultimately the game right there. You go back and look, it's a 10-point win. You're pointing to that second quarter as to why the game ended how it did. So I think that's why people are so critical of Budenholzer because you can go back and look and say, okay, why weren't you making an adjustment here? Why weren't you making a substitution here to try and you know wake up the team? And I think that's why people are so critical of him. Yeah, 100%. And like you said, sometimes timeouts aren't even necessarily for your team. Obviously, they weren't getting the offense going. So you do need to call the timeout. But you kind of slow the momentum of the opposite team. Like, you always see timeouts are called when the other team has the momentum. Okay, let's settle down. Let's let the crowd settle down. But let's settle this game down. Take a breather and and get back and let's play our type of basketball. And Budenholzer, he really doesn't do a very good job of that. And so, like you said, that's why I'm very critical of Budenholzer. But another guy I'm, I'm becoming critical of is Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton is an all-star. He's been to the all-star game the past two seasons. And he's not playing consistently like an all-star. I don't, I don't understand the inconsistent play from Chris Middleton. Because if you look at his game, he has everything... Of a superstar, he has the bat. He has a package. He's six foot seven. He can shoot. He can get his own bucket. He he's not a slack defensively. He can make plays for others. He has all the talent and ability in the world that you're like, man. He could be a superstar. He has the the type of talent. He could be the best player on Milwaukee. But what separates these great players and these high level all stars and the superstars is consistency. And so that's where I think Chris Middleton is lacking, and I'm not understanding it because, you know, we put Steph Curry, we put Giannis and Kevin Durant and LeBron and Kawhi, all those guys are on superstar status. And there might be a guy sitting out there at the end of the bench who really could be, I won't say more talented than them, but it's like a consistency factor. And I think Chris Middleton is that guy. I don't think he's on the level talent-wise. But at the same time, like, I think he could be shedding that same light at least as like the Damian Lillers, the Kyrie Irvins of the world, the, the high level all stars, even like Jimmy Butler. Like you wouldn't even put Middleton on the same level as Jimmy Butler because you're not getting his best. You're not getting at least an A effort every night. And so or more often than not, it's such a roller coaster ride with Chris Middleton. And I've always said Milwaukee goes as far as Chris Middleton goes. And we saw that Giannis scored 40, 40 plus, I think 42. And it's not to blame Giannis. He did everything he could do. But even at the end of a game, he's not necessarily the guy that you want with the ball in his hands. That's what they traded for Drew Holiday for, a guy to truly run the offense. That's what they still have Chris Middleton for. That's kind of what's made him an all-star is Milwaukee first off is so good that usually they get more than one player in the all-star game. But at the same time, Chris Middleton has that. So what do you think when you watch Chris Middleton, why are you not seeing – What's up with the inconsistency with Chris Middleton? I mean, what's crazy is at the All-Star break, we were talking about Chris Middleton potentially being a 40, 50, 90 guy. Like, like he was that close. He finishes the season at 47, 41, and 89. So, like, great shooting splits for 
Giannis is Robin because obviously Giannis is Batman on this team. But I mean, he, he's attempting 16 shots in a game that you have to win and he's making five of them. Like, like you can't go five of 16 in a game like this where Giannis is hobbled. He's playing, he's, he's leading the team and he's just looking for a little bit of help. And you, you score 11 points when you're supposed to be like a 20 point per game guy. Like you talked about it. Players are supposed to elevate in the postseason, and I think that's why people have not been sold on is Middleton a number two because he statistically it may look good on paper, but he scores 30 one night and then he scores 10 the next. So when you're getting 30 and then 10 and then 30 and then 10, like you, you can't win with that. Like the big reason why Paul George had such a great postseason is because he was consistently putting up 20 points. Like right. he scored 20 points every single playoff game that he played this postseason, whether Kawhi was playing or not, because he's he's his Robin. And we've even seen in Phoenix, like what now who Batman and who Robin is, I mean, that's open to interpretation. You've got Booker the scorer, you've got Chris Paul the leader, but they both consistently showed up in every game. Like they might have had an off night here or there. I know Booker's had a couple off nights, and that's okay because when you're playing 20 playoff games. You're entitled to have a couple off nights. Mm -hmm. But when you're Middleton and you're looking at, you know, half your series, you're not showing up. You you can't get it done when that's happening. And I don't know whether it's just he lacks confidence or whether it's he's just letting Giannis do his thing and he's just trying to pick his spots. But at, at a certain time, you have to decide, okay, Giannis has got it going early. Now I have to take over and give him a little bit of rest here so he can he can be Giannis. He can be Batman. And he just hasn't shown that. And it's frustrating to watch. It definitely is. Um, I like Chris Middleton. So it, it, it's frustrating to watch because you know his potential. So when you see you see him, you've seen enough A games of him that when you see that C minus grade, you're like, bro, not in the not in the finals. Like that can't happen in the NBA finals playoffs, period. But like every once in a while having a bad game, you know, I don't expect, besides the true superstars, I don't really expect your Robin to go in a seven-game series and all seven games were great games. I expect, you know, a bad game or two, but if you can at least give me four to five of those seven games where I get your best, we can win a series that way. Because if I can win every night that you give me your best game or I fall short one night, but that's, that's the type of team that Milwaukee is, is like if Chris Middleton gives them four great nights they win the series against Phoenix because when Chris Middleton plays great, they win. When he plays, when he plays bad, they lose. And it's 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 because of what he could do late in games, and it's because of what Giannis can't do late in games. He's not a shooter. Giannis could get to the hole, but he's answering threes from Devin Booker and Bridges and Jay Crowder with two pointers. If I'm a coach, I'll take that all day. Chris Middleton off, make him shoot, but don't allow him to get hot. Drew Holiday off, make him shoot, but don't allow him to get hot. Because then at that point, Milwaukee doesn't have a way to really go bucket for bucket. That's where Phoenix gets their lead is Devin Booker hitting threes. Mikael Bridges hitting threes. Chris Paul gets hot and is hitting threes. Aiden getting rebounds on long three-pointers that were missed. And then Milwaukee can't come back. And they're, they're dependent on Brooke Lopez will lead them in, you know, in three-pointers made in a game. And you can't have that. Your center can't lead in three-pointers made when you have a guy who's considered a shooter, a really good shooter in Chris Middleton, and then a guy who could get his own bucket and is an above-average shooter in Drew Holiday. So before we move on, I want to talk one more thing about Milwaukee. So 
I've come up with this, I won't say theory, but this true thought, and I think a lot of people will agree. If Milwaukee loses this series, as I would, I think we would expect them to, if they lose this series, we now have to, you have to go back to the drawing board. Every time you lose in the playoffs and you don't win the championship, every team goes back to the drawing board. But where it gets where it gets a little sticky for me with Milwaukee is what moves can they make? They kind of strapped themselves with making that Drew Holiday trade, kind of gave up all their assets. They don't really have the most intriguing assets outside of their big three. So when they go back to the drawing board after they lose this NBA Finals and figure out what we could do next year to get back there, because the role is expected to be 10 times harder next year than it was this year. I thought this was the prime year. Like this was the best chance Giannis in the next few years will have to win a championship. And there's no knock on any of the teams, but there is substance. And you look at, you know, Brooklyn got injured in the series. Obviously James Harden went down and Brooklyn still was up 2-0. Kyrie Irving goes down. The series changes. You know, Atlanta was basically able to upset, and it's tough. You don't really see upsets in the NBA playoffs because you have to win four out of seven games. But Atlanta was basically able to upset Milwaukee, and they, or I mean, upset Philly, and they gave Milwaukee a run for their money, but then Trey Young goes down. The offense was stagnant uh, in game four. So obviously, they, they, they've, I won't say benefited from injury, but if I could pick a role, this role would be the best because you go into next year, and you expect Brooklyn to be healthy. You expect them to, with their big three. We expect teams to make moves. We don't expect the New York Knicks to stay idle. They have a lot of cap space. They can improve their roster a lot. Obviously, we know there's some unhappy stars. And with all that cap space and the assets that they have, the Knicks are mentioned in pretty much any trade scenario for anybody, whether they want them or not. You expect Miami, and we'll get into that, but you expect them to make moves and not stay stagnant where they're at. And that's just talking about the Eastern Conference. We expect Philly may make moves or make some type of, they're going to have to make some type of adjustments, but they'll be right back in the fold next year. Atlanta's going to come back fully healthy. They did all that. No DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish comes in late in the Milwaukee series. So a lot of these teams who were very successful, we expect to get better. Boston made a coaching change. I'm sure they're not going to stay stagnant. I'm sure they're going to make some moves to surround uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum with some talent. So we look at all these teams and some of them and their failures and even some of the roster changes that we expect to happen. And it's going to be even tougher for Milwaukee. So when they go back to the drawing board, what is their conversation? I mean, their conversation is, is first of all, is Budenholzer the guy. And while I don't believe that he is, this is the furthest he's ever been. So I don't have full faith in Milwaukee to actually move on from him. So you have to look at that first and foremost. He is a coach that has never actually won an NBA championship despite having consistently one-seeded teams entering the playoffs. Then you you probably look at Brooke Lopez, unfortunately, because I believe he's around $13 million a year, $10 million a year, somewhere in that range. So, I mean, I don't, I don't think that's the answer, but they've put so much stock in Middleton, Drew, and – and Giannis, for like the next three years, they're all locked in, long-term deals, big money contracts. So I don't see them moving any of them. Do they move Lopez and then just try and bring in and round out the roster a little bit more, try and get a little bit more bench scoring or something? I think that would be the only route that they can go, but they're pretty strapped right now. Like 
this year is essentially championship or bust because these other teams are going to get better. And when you bring in Drew Holiday and he's attempted more shots than he scored points in the NBA Finals, that's a huge issue. And I don't see it getting much better in this series. I don't see them coming back. I could be completely wrong on that, but I just don't see it happening. And then you got to look in the mirror of, okay, with all these other teams getting better, we have to do something different. And I think it should be Budenholzer. Do I think they'll do it? I'm still not sold on that. Right. And you know, I agree with you. I do think that's the first answer. And that's the first thing you have to look at is, are we locked in on Budenholzer? Because this is the coach that we were talking about, you know, pre-playoffs. I think uh, even during the playoffs, we were like, oh, Budenholzer gone. You know, when we were seeing this in in the Brooklyn series, down 2-0, it was like, oh, Budenholzer's gone. They're, they're getting embarrassed. They're getting completely embarrassed by Brooklyn. And this is no James Harden and not a deep roster. Brooklyn really did have a deep roster. When you look at it, they, they put all their chips in their big three and tried to make the best supporting cast they can. But you saw when Harden went down, it really didn't matter because Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And then the fact that Brooklyn still had a shot. That series should have been over with the minute Kyrie Irving went down. As great as Kevin Durant's performance was in Game 5, and it was legendary. Uh, it shouldn't have mattered at the end of the day. Like It was a legendary performance, so saying it shouldn't have mattered was not a knock on Kevin Durant. But Milwaukee was that much better. No Kyrie Irving, no James. They had James Harden, but we saw in Game 5, he was so limited. That shouldn't have mattered. Like, James Harden didn't hit a three. He was like 0 for 10 from the field. He had like five points. Like, it was kind of ridiculous. But we see that Budenholzer might be the problem. But how do you justify firing a coach that just got to the NBA Finals? That's the that's where I said when, when, when Giannis went down in the Atlanta series, I said if Giannis doesn't come back, even I feel like the Kyrie Irving injury saved Budenholzer's job. But then when Giannis went down, had they lost that series to Atlanta, he would have a scapegoat because you would have that what if. Well, if Giannis never got hurt, they probably win this series. It was a lot tougher than we thought it would be, but they still probably win this series. And now if Giannis didn't come back, I felt like he wasn't going to come back in the finals. I'm surprised and happy for him that he's come back and played at the level that he's played at. We know we thought that could have been a season-ending injury, but I felt like once he went down, I'm like, Buda Holzer kind of can wipe the sweat off his brow, and at least he could justify, well, Giannis had went down. Even if we do make it to the finals, if he doesn't show back up, you know, we're not expected to win, so if we lose, nobody will be surprised. Nobody will be looking at me and blaming me. But Giannis is coming back. Giannis did come back, and he played amazing in game two. So even if he's not 100%, he had a 100% type of game the way he played, and we see him go down. We see him grab his knee. So we do know he is playing in pain, but – the will and want to win the championship for Giannis is greater. So I think Budenholzer needs to be the first one. Like you said, you talk about trading Brooke Lopez, but like if you're not getting, you're not going to get equal or better value in return. Yeah. So you're just hoping whatever you get in return for Brooke Lopez is just a better fit. Even if you look at Bobby Portis, the, their fit of a team, they really have a good team. They fit around Giannis. They built the team around Giannis and it's kind of built perfectly around Giannis. So I think coaching is the problem because when you start trying to move pieces that's not named Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, or Giannis, obviously you're not moving Giannis. But even if you think about trading Chris Middleton or Drew Holiday, the return is not going to be greater than what you gave up. It's not going to happen. You can't just make a trade to make a trade is the exactly. issue. And, and that's why I said Budenholzer. And 
it may be an unpopular choice, but we saw Dwayne Casey win coach of the year in Toronto. They canned him. They brought in Nick Nurse. Obviously, Kawhi came in, so big, big difference there. But they go on and win the championship that year. So sometimes it is coaching, and I think it, it is the case in Milwaukee. Right, and I don't know because they're playing so far. You know, they're in the NBA Finals in these head coaching vacancies. I think that'll be another thing is because they weren't knocked out and in look in search for a head coach or at least entertain that conversation. So Budenholzer might just enter the next season on the hot seat because at the same time, they haven't really, they probably haven't had that conversation. Even if they have behind closed doors, they can't hire a coach. You don't want speculation while you're in the middle of the playoffs saying that we were looking to move on from Budenholzer. Not when you're in search of a championship, not when you're playing in the NBA finals. So even if it's behind closed doors, I'm sure Budenholzer doesn't know about it, but definitely the rest of the world doesn't know about it. But you might have waited, you know, you might have by getting to the finals and what I expect to be a loss, losing in a championship series, you might have ruined yourself of moving on from Budenholzer because I think all the good coaches and the coaching candidates are pretty much being taken. Unless you give some of these other guys who do deserve a shot, the Mark Jackson's of the world. I think Mark Jackson deserves to be on the sideline, you know, again, as a head coach. He got bashed a lot to me for for what happened in Golden State, but, like, nothing major happens. Like, he just couldn't take them over the hump. Steve Kerr gets there, but if you really look at it, Mark Jackson primed those guys to be ready for that kind of moment. And maybe, like you said, maybe Steve Kerr did elevate them a little bit, but that was kind of like the house that Mark Jackson built, in a sense, through drafting with him and Bob Myers as GM, you know, with their draft boards, they drafted really well, was able to have Steph Clay and Draymond through the draft. So when you really look at it, that's kind of the house that Mark Jackson built. And then that's the empire Steve Kerr ended up taking over and making it rain all over the NBA in a sense. So I do think, you know, they might have waited too late. Hope Maybe they do entertain a Mark Jackson or th there's some other candidates out there. We're now seeing Phil Handy mate you know, is getting interviews for a head coach position. And people have kind of been campaigning for him for a while because his player development skills is no other. All the guys that have worked with Phil Handy. I mean, you look at, these are guys who constantly improve. We could go down the list of names, but these are guys, he, he works with superstars. You know, we, we've heard great things from the late, great Kobe Bryant. When he talked about Phil Handy, like he has relationships with superstars and he makes those guys, it's mind blowing to them how much work he puts in into making those guys better. So maybe they could entertain a situation like that, especially you get him as your head coach and he can work with Giannis personally, night in or day in, day out, night in, night out. Man, that could be really scary because it's, you know, if we, we don't know, but Phil Handy hasn't had a failed prospect yet. He hasn't got his hands on a guy and you've never seen improvement yet. So I think that would be something to consider. But we'll move on from the NBA Finals talk and let's talk about, you know, we're fans of two different teams. Let's talk about your Los Angeles Lakers. Obviously, their season is over with uh, in a disappointment in the first round. But, you know, due to LeBron may not have been 100%. Obviously, Anthony Davis had got injured. And, and it's a season you can live with. But if I'm a Lakers fan, what I'm looking at is I'm looking at my supporting cast. And as a Lakers fan, I would say, I would say we can't go into next season you know, I look at the Lakers the same way I look at my Miami Heat. You can't go into next season with the roster as constructed and expect to win a championship. And the way we talk about Milwaukee and what can happen in the Eastern Conference, you look at the Western Conference. 
Golden State is going to be back. We expect Klay Thompson to be back healthy. They have two lottery picks. We either expect them to take the two lottery picks and, and that makes, you know, adds depth to a team that's already going to have one of the better starting fives in the league, or they may make a move for another star. They have the assets, and, and obviously with getting two picks in the lottery, that, that number seven and number 14 holds a lot of weight. So you look at Golden State's going to be back. We expect if Kawhi stays with the Clippers, we expect Kawhi and, and the Clippers to be back as long as he comes back healthy. Ty Lue kind of made a difference and was able to really get them with that next step over what Doc Rivers could do with the Clippers. It was about time. And Ty Lue proved, especially to me, I was a guy who was a doubter on Ty Lue, uh, that he's, he's a great coach. You look at Utah, they're going to be back, and they, be made, they may be making some moves. Maybe get rid of Rudy Gobert. I just don't know if, you know, Utah might look and be like, as good as we are, we're just a really good team. I don't know if they look at themselves as a championship contending team. And like I said, a season like this, it was primed for Utah or Phoenix. This was going to be the best path for them to get their championship. And it's not a knock. Anybody who would have went to play for a championship, I would say a year like this would be your best path and you can never say a championship is easy, but I would say easiest path when you look into next season and what we expect to see, player movement, players coming back healthy, teams are improving, lottery, you know, some teams like, like Golden State who benefited in the lottery. So what do you expect? What, what's some moves the Lakers need to make? Players they want to get rid of, players they need to bring in? Who should they be looking at? Because I just don't think they could come in with this roster and expect to win a championship next year. No, and and I looked at their cap situation. So they are at 136 this year. They're looking at 121 entering next year, assuming Harrell uh, opts in with his player option. So the only players here that are untouchable are LeBron and Anthony Davis. I mean, they take up 76 million of their cap space next year which really limits what they can do in free agency. And, I mean, I get sick and tired of reading on Twitter all these fake trades that that the Lakers are going to, oh, all we have to give up is CP, uh, KCP and Kuzma and, and a first rounder, and that'll get us Damien. Like, stop it. Like, like there's there's teams with other assets. So, so putting all of that aside, if we're looking at the two pieces that are most movable here, because they have a lot of expiring deals. They brought in a lot of veteran guys like your Wesley Matthews, your Jared Dudleys, all those sort of guys. They're going to be free agents. They could probably sign them to vet minimums once again if they really decided to bring them back. But KCP, he's he's a big piece. I mean, he's owed $13 million this year, 14 next. Is he truly worth that? I'm not sure. I, I think he's a great defender. I think he can hit the, hit the shots when needed. So... I think the Lakers would lean keeping him, especially since he has a great relationship with LeBron. I mean, a lot of that hinges on like, okay, how's your relationship with LeBron? Because in a way, he's like co-GM with Rob Palenka. Then you've got Kuzma, who's owed three years, 39. I almost threw up in my mouth saying that, but he's certainly not worth that, given the production that he's giving. Now, I think he still has some value. I don't think it's huge value, but I just think when we saw him prior to LeBron getting there and LeBron getting there, I just think he's, he struggles to play on the floor with him because his skill set is very much playing at the spot that LeBron ultimately holds down most of the time. So it's difficult there. Um, Schroeder wants a lot of money to come back and 
why would you bring him back given the year that you just had? Because yes, I know injuries played a factor, but Lakers fans don't forget that Schroeder was an absolute liability on offense in that Phoenix series. The guy Mm -hmm. was ice cold all postseason, didn't show it, didn't look like, like, I just don't think the Lakers can have a score first point guard when you have LeBron James on the floor. Like, I think they need a guy that can knock down shots and almost play like another shooting guard on the floor because LeBron's going to play the point when it when it boils down to it, and Schroeder's not a knockdown shooter. Um, I think losing Dwight Howard and ultimately not addressing that, I mean, they brought in Mark Gasol, but Mark Gasol is a shell of what he once was. So if I'm the Lakers, I'm looking at, okay, what veteran guys are out there that I could get for a couple million dollars and sell them on come play with AD and LeBron to win a championship. I'm looking at a guy like Paul Millsap. He's he's getting up there in age. He's a guy that probably is trying to just win a championship. That would go a long way in him potentially making the Hall of Fame. I don't think he'll get there, but he was a good player for a long time. You could look at P.J. Tucker if they ultimately don't get it done in Milwaukee. The Lakers are very much a defense-based team. Like That's what they've been winning off of is their defense. P.J. Tucker, you throw him in there, I mean, that would be a scary situation given how well he defends. If you're looking for a big just to come in and score, play kind of like Harrell, maybe an Enos Cantor, but I don't see that one really fitting in L.A. But guards-wise, I mean, I'm looking at a team like Miami who's who's looking to make moves, and one of them would likely involve giving up Goran Dragic because they've got him on that team option. I think they designed it that way because they knew – look, we're going to see how this year goes, but we also want to give ourselves the opportunity to go and pursue other players next summer. So we don't want to get locked in on Dragic for two years. So he's owed like 15 million there. I can't see Miami ultimately bringing him back. And I think he'd be the perfect fit in LA if they ultimately decide that. Dragic would want to win a title as well. Um, He's a guy that he scores well in the mid range. He can hit the knockdown three when you need him to. I just think he would fit really well with the Lakers. I don't think you'd have to get him on a massive deal. Um, if Miami ultimately decided to sign and trade him or something, then potentially we send you guys Kuzma, which I know you threw up in your mouth hearing me say that. So I don't know. There's a lot of players out there, but I think Lakers fans need to temper their, temper their expectations. Stop thinking we're getting DeMar DeRozan. Stop thinking we're getting Kyle Lowry. Like I just don't see players like that coming to LA right now and ultimately taking enough of a pay cut to make it happen. Like the Toronto Raptors aren't interested in taking on Kuzma and KCP. If you sign and trade Lowry, like that's just not a situation that they're going to entertain. So I think you need to temper expectations. You have two all NBA players who played like it when they were healthy. You got to believe they're going to come back healthy and just try and put the veteran pieces around them and ultimately, and ultimately win a championship. Because when they won in the bubble, it was because they had guys like Dwight Howard that stepped up. Rajon Rondo stepped up. So if they can find some guys like that that could produce like that, then the Lakers will be fine. Yeah, I think, you know, I think the DeMar DeRozan thing is a realistic, I think it's a realistic possibility. Especially when you look at, you know, you attach Dame or, or, oh, let's go after Kawhi with no cap space. You know, uh, fans of any team, that really die hard and love their team. Get we we get ridiculous sometimes when we speak from a fan perspective because it's just oh he wants to be here he wants to be there. Especially we'll get into my team in a little bit, but especially being Los Angeles or South Beach, 
you have this like it's this mentality that like who wouldn't want to come here, especially S- South Beach, Miami, state of Florida, no state taxes like Pat Riley. All he's got to do is put those rings in your face and, and he's got you convinced. So it's one of those like and the Lakers have that same Venice Beach, Los Angeles, California, sunny, Calif- sunny Southern California. So you just have this sales pitch. But then it's like, well, there are rules to the game. There is a salary cap. It's also when we talk about making trades, it's not a one sided, you know, decision. The other team on the other side, the other front office has to okay this trade that people are drawing up saying, you know, like you said, KCP, Kuz, sign and trade Schroeder and a first round pick of 2027 for Damian Lillard. Why would Portland take that? Like, they, you know, and we talk about Damian Lillard, he, the only way he ends up in a Lakers uniform, there's there's only one way, and I think it's slightly impossible because he's not this type of guy. He ends up in a Lakers uniform if he comes out and says, I will never play another game for Portland, and I don't want to play for anybody else but the Lakers. Kind of like with Anthony Davis, you know, they, they were going to lose him for nothing, but at the same time, they traded him, and then he was like, I'm not re-signing with anybody other than Los Angeles. So if you trade for me, essentially – you're getting me for a year. At that time, he was going to be a free agent after. So you're getting me for a year, and then I'm gone. I'm going to the Lakers regardless. So none of y'all, like, I could see. But Damian Lillard doesn't have that juice because next year isn't a contract, you know, the last year on his contract. But I still, that's what it would take for him to go to the Lakers. And then the Lakers would still have to sign and trade Schroeder, Montrez Harrell, Kyle Kuzma, KCP, and like 25 first-round picks. Because they don't have any picks. <laughs> exactly. So that's the problem is they don't have picks. So it just be one of those. I just don't see Dame going to the Lakers. But my, my guy who I feel like should, should get some love to be in a Los Angeles uniform, Carmelo Anthony. It's about time to link yeah. Carmelo and LeBron together. Like, what are they doing? Like, why are they not? Why are they not together? Why? Why? Why is LeBron? We've we seen a point in time where Carmelo was kind of blackballed out of the NBA for a while, and I've just always been waiting for LeBron to come to the rescue when it was 2018 in Cleveland. And then when he went to L.A., I'm like, oh, my God, I know they're going to get Carmelo, Melo, L.A. Just makes so much sense. But now I think it makes, makes more sense now more than ever. I think Melo could use LeBron, and I also think the Lakers could use Carmelo. But Carmelo is coming towards the end of his career, whether we like it or not. He doesn't have much longer, and I think he wants to win a championship. I mean, who doesn't? But at the same time, I think now he's fulfilled everything he's wanted to do, and it wasn't about a championship for Carbello. I mean, he may not have said that, but actions speak louder than words. He's never made moves where he's like, I'm trying to win a championship. He's went and got the bag everywhere he went. So I think now it's about that time, be that veteran. He is a catch-and-shoot guy. I think he would fit perfect, you know, alongside LeBron in this stage of his career. And it just makes sense. Like, get the Banana Boat crew together. Get D-Wade out of retirement while you're at it. But I just thought we would have seen at least three of those four. I thought when Chris Paul wanted out of OKC and he basically got to pick where he wanted to go, I kind of, I was thinking that Chris Paul was going to, you know, I'm going to go to the Lakers. And then I was expecting Carmelo Anthony because he was a free agent, you know, this past offseason and Portland decided to bring him back. I felt like, okay, Chris Paul going to the Lakers, Melo going to get there. And I was like, you can never cancel, even though D-Way said he moved on. Like, you never can cancel the opportunity of getting the Banana Boat crew together. D-Way would probably be a player coach at that point. 
But I thought that was going to happen this past offseason. So I think the Lakers are – but I do think DeMar DeRozan is a realistic trade target. I think Kyle Lowry is too. I'm not as high on Lowry as everybody else because he is older. And so – and he's not playing – he's a really good player right now. But at the same time, like if age hits him, it's going to hit him hard. And we can't – yeah, like we can't expect everybody to have this LeBron James, Tom Brady – longevity in sports where in years 18 and you know 21 of their career they're they're competing for championships winning championships like that longevity on everybody 36 doesn't look as good on everybody else as it does on a guy like LeBron everybody just can't play that great that late into their career but I do think DeMar DeRozan look at Kyle Lowry as trade options and then as far as free agents like you said I think they just need to find the right piece, the right few pieces. This this free agency obviously isn't as great as it was supposed to be, but it was also, you look at the list of who was supposed to be free agents, and it was Kawhi Leonard, uh, Paul Giannis. George, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Giannis. Like, all those guys were supposed to be free agents this year. Obviously, AD locked in, LeBron locked in. We didn't expect them to be anywhere, but they were still at that time pending free agents. Kawhi may leave. Lakers don't. I don't see him walking across the hallway to play, to continue to play in LA, but in a Lakers uniform. And plus they don't have the cap space. They would have to make a, a crazy type of sign and trade. And you just be guys will pack up their bags in one and just move right across the hallway, you know, to the other locker room. So any final thoughts on the Lakers offseason before we move on? I just think they focused too much last offseason on adding more scoring, and they got away from their identity a bit. I mean, you can't replace Dwight Howard with Montrezl Harrell and expect him to do what Dwight does. Right. And then you go and bring in Schroeder, who's, you know, he, he was the sixth man of the year for me, but he just, he just, he's not a starting point guard in my opinion. I think he's a great sixth man. I just, I don't like him running my offense moving forward. They just need to find a guy that can, truly play a role and not try and do too much. And I found Schroeder was trying to do that too much. Yeah, 100%. So we're going to move on to our final topic of the day. And we talked about your Los Angeles Lakers. So now let's talk about my Miami Heat. What a disappointing season we had, obviously, getting swept by Milwaukee. It is losing to Milwaukee was not the issue, but it was getting swept in just previous the year prior you kind of made Milwaukee look like they didn't belong on the floor with you. And then you turn around the next season and they they embarrass you even worse. Outside of game one, every game was a blowout. Jimmy Butler didn't look into it like he did. I think, you know, just wear and tear. Obviously, the short turnaround, and it's not an excuse, but a lot of Miami Heat players were injured. Then we had the COVID bug hit our team. We had some players being protocol early on in the season. And it just seems like Miami was never able to fully get their legs up under them the whole entire season. But we expected them to come in. We've seen how they matched up against Milwaukee last year. So we kind of expected a dogfight of a series. When we looked at the first round, this was probably one of the series we expected to arguably be the best first-round matchup. Even in the Easter Conference, you were looking at Atlanta, New York, and you were looking at Miami and Milwaukee, and you're like, man, these are two of the most even matchups in the first round that we're going to get, and you that you'll usually get for a while, and it just did not look like that. We know Pat Riley. We've come off of seasons like this before, and Pat Riley makes moves. We're, we're strapped when it comes to salary cap. We paid uh, Bam out of bio. 
We we got Jimmy Butler, who's paid. Obviously, we have some players we need to consider whether they're in our price range or not. Duncan Robinson. Then you look at the future because teams do prepare for the future. And you're like, okay, well, I don't want to go all in right now and not be able to bring a guy who may be a key piece, a Kendrick Nunn, whose value is going to go up. He was undrafted out of Oakland. So, therefore, I think his contract's up after next season. Tyler Hero will be looked at eventually at, his, at an extension. He won't be a max extension kind of guy, but you do have to consider who's your building blocks for the next few years. Miami's very young outside of, you know, Jimmy Butler. You have to look at Goran Dragic and whether, you know, we pick up his team option to keep him or whether we pick up his team option to ultimately trade him. And so I just, I trust that Pat Riley's going to make moves, but I'm not sure what moves can be made. I know we're talking about maybe making a sign and trade for Kawhi Leonard. And a lot of people do think if Kawhi was to leave the Clippers, that Miami would probably be his number one destination. I don't know. I do know he was a key factor. And I brought, I, I didn't bring this up the last time. I think I'll talk with you. If not, I was talking with Chris about Kawhi Leonard to Miami and why it makes all the sense in the world. And I brought up every point, the way they play Pat Riley is built around defense he might get healthier because obviously Miami's medical staff has to be really great because big time injuries just aren't within the organization. We never have superstar players really go out with big time injuries, except you talk about D Wade when his body just crashed on him basically. And Chris Bosch blood clots, that's like unforeseen kind of things, but there's not a lot of torn ACLs. But then if you look, the biggest pitch is the number one candidate that Kawhi Leonard wanted in the Clippers is playing in Miami. He wanted Jimmy Butler initially when it was bringing a teammate. He had a list of three players. It was Jimmy Butler was number one. Harden was number two. And Paul George was number three. He wanted to play with any of those three guys. But Jimmy Butler was his preferred. Like, if I could pick the guy, I want Jimmy Butler. So, obviously, they probably have some type of friendship. Or it's just that ultimate respect for game. And then they look at each other and be like, we would play great together. The same type of player, I think Kawhi Leonard is the better player, obviously. But they have that same, they're dogs on the court. They're not necessarily the greatest playmakers, but they're, they're assassins when they get hot. They play defense, That you know, they, they hang their hat on defense. And so that was something I never really thought about. When Miami has a sales pitch, they can sign and trade just to make salaries match, just to help out the Clippers. Well, they would have to do that. Kawhi Leonard would have to be willing to do that. But if Miami was his destination, he would do it. So what do you think about the Heat, like, in their offseason? What moves do they what, – what do you think my Miami Heat moves they need to make because they can't go into next season the same way I look at the Lakers. They can't go into next season with the roster as constructed and expect any more success than what they had this past season. No, definitely. And they're a completely different situation from L.A. I said that they had $121 million already. Miami has six players on guaranteed contracts for next year. Because you've got Iggy and Dragic are both on team options. I don't see Iggy's ultimately being picked up. I, you can't justify $19 million for a guy that played how Iggy did last year. You've got Robinson and Nunn that are, you know, they're going to get offers. Like, Robinson's probably going to get that 18 to $20 million offer from a team, like four years, 72. And Miami's going to have a big decision. Do, is he worth that? Because we just saw what Joe Harris did in Brooklyn. He got paid and then he no-showed in the playoffs because that's the thing. When you specialize in one thing and it's shooting and you hit a slump in the playoffs, fan bases are going to turn on you really quickly. So we haven't seen that from Duncan. Duncan in the bubble was 
a, a, a walking bucket from three at times. So mm-hmm. you could justify it given he's proven in the playoffs he can do it, but that also screws up what you could ultimately do with other other free agents this offseason. So the only six players under contract are Jimmy Bam, you got Ryan Anderson, Hero, Achua, and Okpala. The rest of them are going to be free agents or you might bring them back on veteran minimums. I'd look at Bayalinsa as a guy that I would like you guys to bring back on a veteran minimum. I think anytime you have a stretch four that can hit threes and you can get them at a cheap price, I don't I don't see any reason why you wouldn't. But Miami ultimately needs to decide whether they're going to try and formulate a big three here or whether they're going to rebuild because Jimmy's 31 now. Now that's, you just talked about Kyle Lowry and Kyle Lowry's a couple years older, but you've got Bam locked up. They clearly like Tyler Hero, although he didn't perform last year. Let's see what he does in year three because you've ultimately got him for the next couple years. So you've got some time to really see what this kid is all about. You can't just turn on a 21-year-old kid that ultimately played a great game in the NBA Finals. So there's clearly some talent there still. So Kawhi is probably the best player in free agency, but if they don't land him because he ultimately decides to land in LA, that's where you start looking at the Lowry sign and trade potentially. You know, you might send him, uh, you might send Rogic, you pick up his team option and then ultimately send him to Toronto. Uh, you could be looking at DeMar DeRozan. We just talked about him in Los Angeles. DeMar DeRozan, he could be that second scorer for you guys. He doesn't really fit into the defensive identity, but I will say he went from Toronto to pop system and turned into a distributor. So I don't think it's above him to come into Miami and really buy into heat culture. He's always pegged me as the type of player that like he really buys in, like, like he works on his game. You see it every year. He comes back with something new. So I wouldn't rule that out. Consolation prize would be Oladipo. You guys had traded for him, but I think he's going to command too much money for what he can ultimately give now. He's been injured already multiple times in his career, and he's a young player, so you might take a chance on him there. Um, then you then you start getting into those like mid-tier free agents that I don't think ultimately put you guys over the hump, and that's why I would hope you wouldn't pursue them, like your Mike Connollys, your Dennis Schroeders. Like, I just don't see them as guys that fit in Miami and move the needle, because that's what this offseason's about. We talked about, well, you don't make a trade to make a trade. You don't make a signing to make a signing. Like the last thing Miami wants to do is get locked into Dennis Schroeder four years, 80 million, like because that doesn't get them anywhere. So Miami's got to pursue some of these bigger guys. If they ultimately decide that that's not what they want, like if they don't want Oladipo, if they don't want Connolly Schroeder, they miss out on some guys, then you can bring back a Duncan Robinson because I think you could justify him at four years, 68. Unfortunately, a team's probably going to offer him more than that, so you're going to have to you're going to have to decide there. So Miami is one team that I'm fascinated with this offseason because it could go so many different ways with them. They could land Kawhi and win free agency. They could sign Dennis Schroeder and really be screwed, or they could go and you know bring back Duncan and maybe some veteran guys, and then suddenly we're talking about Miami in a different light. So only time will tell with them. Yeah, 100%. But, Kenneth, I appreciate you for coming on the show. Everybody listening here on Dash Radio on the Nothing But Net channel. But make sure you stay tuned after my show because right after is my guy, Chris LeBron, coming from off the ball. 
And he's coming with your show at 12 p.m. Eastern time directly after me. So make sure you stay tuned in to listen to my guy, Chris, back to back on the Off the Ball Network. Kenneth, I appreciate you for coming on. I appreciate everybody for listening. Make sure you go follow my guy, Kenneth, and go listen to his podcast, Shooter Shoot Podcast. It's a whole sports thing now. It's not just basketball centric. You know, he, he's a Swiss Army knife. So everybody make sure you go tune into that. I appreciate y'all for listening. And Up in Flames is out.